Okay, so uh, thank you, brother, for reading Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, verses 3 to 9. So no one is to deceive you in any way, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Apostasy simply means departing from the truth. Very simple. Logically, by necessary inference, we conclude that to depart from the truth, one must have been in the truth first. Being the truth, of course, the Word of God. Now let us first understand what the apostasy predicted in apostolic times consisted of. You know? uh, in addition to 2 Thessalonians, uh, the, uh, the scripture that uh, was read this morning, you know, we can find this also in Matthew, the 7th chapter, verses 15 to 20, Acts 20, uh, uh, 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4, uh, 1 John 4, and many more. You know, that talk about the apostasy. The New Testament tells us of a great apostasy that would come. And secular history tells us how that apostasy was developing. Although many false doctrines were propagated from apostolic times, uh, the great apostasy consisted mainly of the corruption of the government of the church. In the local sense. The simple form of government that the Bible exposed was corrupted by a centralization of government that finally produced the Roman papacy. Let me give you some history of the apostasy uh, in the New Testament. And uh, uh, according to, to the history books, the apostasy of the true church began with the change of government and organization. In the apostolic church, there was a plurality of elders in each congregation. Acts 24, chapter verse 23. There was no hierarchy or high organization except the reign of the Lord from heaven. Even the apostle who had as much authority as messengers of Christ will did not have the right to decide according to their own wisdom what the church should do. Each congregation was independent and autonomous, subject only to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. The elders of each local church oversaw the church in its activities according to the Word of God. However, after the death of the apostles, there were two bad tendencies, uh, you know, among the churches that went against the will of Christ for the government of the church. One was the practice of the large churches to dominate the small and new churches. In these ways, the elders of the strong churches began to oversee many congregations in their district. The other bad tendency was the exaltation of one of the elders over the others. Little by little, the plurality of elders disappeared in the case of a single elder over the local church came in its place or took its place. In other words, the apostasy began in the organization of the church. 
in the government of the local church. Now, why is it important to, to talk about apostasy? To answer this question, we first, we first need to understand who is behind it. Who is behind the apostasy? 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, verse 9, says, That is, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders. Satan is behind it. Paul said, For we are not unaware of his schemes. That is one of the reasons why 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan, or the devil, is behind that. And let me, and let me tell you this. Satan, who on many occasions is talked about in a joking way, minimizing what he is capable of doing, the Bible tells us, that he prowls around like a roaring lion. Satan is fighting day and night to introduce wrong teachings, false doctrine, personal opinions, etc. to take with him as many as possible to hell, which is prepared for him and his angels. We know perfectly well that Satan will not only take many to hell, for not obeying God or for living a life contrary to God's will, but he will also take many to hell through false doctrines, personal opinions, traditions, etc. that become like a commandment of God, like the law of Christ. Now let me tell you this, and please listen carefully. One of the worst mistakes a Christian can make in his life when he faces Satan, in, it is thinking, this will not happen to me. This cannot happen to me. Or this cannot happen to us. Why is it a mistake to think that, uh, like that or that way? Because in doing so, we lower the guard. Our guard goes down and that is precisely what Satan wants. Whereas if we think that this can happen to me. This can happen to us, which is a biblical principle according to Galatians 6.1. Each one look into yourself so that you are not tempted as well. Instead of letting our guard down, our guard will be up, ready to defend ourselves, ready to fight. That is why Peter says, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Remember, the Bible tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is a serious fight, brethren. This is a serious word. It's not a joke. Many churches who were faithful and sound sound churches just became one more of those religious groups because once we allow this small tiny practice which is not authorized by Christ or by God in any of the different ways that we know 
how to establish authority, nobody will be able to stop what is coming after that. And that is precisely how the devil works. Extremely subtle. I'm going to spell it for you because, you know, S-U-B-S-M-B-O-T-S-N-T-A-M-L-E. You know, pardon my French, but I want to make sure you know that you understand what I'm saying. Extremely fine. Negatory. Like, don't worry about it. Nothing is happening. It is of no value or importance. It's futile. Or pointless. Don't worry. It's fruitless. It is not addictive. It's ineffective. It is not going to harm you. It is not going to harm us. It is not a big deal. That's what. That's how he works. And that's what he wants us to think. Okay. And let me tell you this. All the devil needs. Is that we give him. The smallest. Little tiny hole. Or space. To enter. And Satan will cause disaster, catastrophe, a cataclysm, tragedy, calamity, you name it. That's how he works. And that's how he is. Why do you think Paul told the brand in Ephesus, uh, in Ephesians, the 6th chapter, verses 10 to 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And we can continue reading, you know, uh, verses 13 to 18. For example, it says in many, uh, 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 in verse 16, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith which, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. God wants us to make sure that as soldiers of Christ, that as part of army Jesus, Satan doesn't have not even that little tiny space or little hole, you know, to go in, to enter. Why do you think God says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Because that's all that the devil needs to get in. For a couple to go to bed angry at each other. For an employee to get angry with his or her boss. You know, an employee who is a Christian. Or with a friend, with a relative, with a sister or brother in Christ. Or for a member of the church to introduce as practice a doctrine, a tradition, a personal opinion that is not biblical, etc. I'm sure you can give me a lot of scenarios. And if that is the case, Satan will cause disasters, will cause calamity, a chaos. Again, this is a serious fight. This is a serious world that we are in. And I, keep, and I can keep giving you verse after verse after verse where God warns us, tell us to be on the alert. Why do you think Galatians? Corinthians, Thessalonians, 1 Peter, or 2 Peter uh, that we are studying, uh, 1 John, etc., were written because of that. I have often wondered how did the devil get into the church and cause the church to turn away from the truth? 
they have all the truth of God and fresh, just out of the oven, not 2,000 years later, like, like us, you know. It was recently that they received the, 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 the truth of God, you know. Do you want to know how? Well, let me tell you this. There are only two origins of authority. Divine and human from heaven or from man. Matthew 21 verse 25, Jesus asked the baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from man? The main reason for this apostasy was that men rejected Christ as head of the church. Ephesians 1, 22, 23. With all the authority, Matthew 28, verse 18. The church has no authority to make or establish laws, commandments, personal opinions, tradition as the law of Christ. No one has that authority. Jesus Christ is the only legislator, James 4, 12. That is why we need to ask ourselves, is it the law of Christ or is it a human opinion? Is it the law of Christ or is it a personal opinion? A lot of faithful brethren, and especially preachers, want to be strict and strong. And we must teach, you know, a lot about holiness and condemn worldliness. Discipline in the church is very important. But it is indispensable and extremely important that a distinction be made between the law of Christ and human or personal opinions. Remember, Christ is the only legislator. Anything else is personal opinion. That is why we are to preach and teach the law of Christ ardently, contending for the faith once given to the saints. Jude 3. Now let me tell you this. Christ reveals his law in four ways. Number one. Through a clear statement or affirmation. Most of his teachings are learned in this way. He and the apostles, you know, affirm many truths. And we find them in the 27 books uh, of the New Testament. For example, Ephesians 4.4. 4, there is one body and one spirit. Very clear. Colossians 2.14.16. The old law was taken away. Clear statement. Number two. By means of a commandment. A direct command. For example, Jesus says uh, regarding the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians 11.24. That's a direct command. Number three. Through a proof example. The examples left by the apostles. In Acts 27. On the first day of the week. When the, uh, the disciples gathered to break bread. Paul was teaching them. This text let us know. That we must participate in the Lord's Supper. On the first day of the week. Sunday. A proof example. Number through, uh, number four, through the necessary inference. Let me tell you this. A clear statement or affirmation is explicit teaching said in so many words. 
But what the Bible implicitly teaches is of, is of equal importance. It is the Word of God. His will is revealed both by implicit teaching and by explicit teaching. Everyone can understand that implicit teaching, but more study is required. For example, Hebrews the 10th chapter, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of, uh, of ourselves together. Necessary inference? The meeting place is implied as necessary. The meeting place, like this place here. Necessary inference. But again, the question is, is it the law of Christ or is it human opinion? Is it the law of Christ or is it a personal opinion? Remember, a personal opinion, it is not the law of Christ. Romans 14 talks a lot about it and establishes a principle. And we can go to uh, 1 Corinthians 8 and uh, uh, also uh, the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians where uh, there are also diverse opinions that we can find, you know, there. But again, a personal opinion, it is not the law of Christ. According to Romans 14, who is right or who is wrong when it comes to a matter of personal opinion? Nobody is right, nobody is wrong. But can I be wrong with my personal opinion? Yes. How? When I try to impose my personal opinion. When someone is trying to impose his personal opinion, pushing his personal opinion as the law of Christ, that's wrong. Because a personal opinion, it isn't. It isn't. It is not the law of Christ. Well, my, my opinion is better than yours. My opinions make more sense than yours. What? That's not the principle we found in Romans 14. The principle... Uh, that we found in Romans 14 in matters of personal opinion is that although there is freedom, there also has to be tolerance and consideration. Of course, in matters of faith, we cannot be tolerant. Let me make, make it clear. In matters of faith, we cannot be tolerant. The attitude between the strong, the strong one or mature in the faith toward the weak is important. Usually the weak in the faith is always more sensitive and demanding in terms of their scruples and tend to push their cases to extremes, demanding everyone to think like they think. If not, there is a problem. Well, let me tell you this. In matters of personal opinions, God leaves each person follows his or her own conscience and judgment. Nobody has to adjust his or her judgment to someone else's. But each must show love and tolerance towards the other one, which is of a different judgment. There is something that uh, 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 we need to understand And it's understanding that the purpose of the strong or mature and the weak is the same. To please God, the mores of the, of the two are pure. But we have to be extremely careful 
not to try to impose our personal opinion as if it were the law of Christ because it is not. It is just a personal opinion. Why are there so many differences of opinion? There are many reasons. According to 1 Corinthians the, uh, the chapter 8, verse 7, some people were accustomed to idols, eat a sacrifice to idols, and their conscience, you know, being weak, was defiled. They could not disassociate the meat that was offered to idols from the idols themselves. Their minds were thus conditioned for many years. So according to this verse, we can say that the opinions we have are not based solely on our study of the Bible, but also what we were or what we used to think even before conversion. In the education we receive or do not receive, in the culture and environment in, in which we grew up, and in, an, in acceptable and unacceptable standards within our culture, etc. There are many reasons, you know. As a result of those influences, and many more, the opinions of many brethren are the fruit not so much of objective Bible study, but of their, but of their own subjective study. You know, they, they read the Bible many times through the lenses of prejudice, or through the lens of prejudice. Certainly, some have strong opinions because they have heard a lot preaching and teaching about them. If any preacher or member of the church teaches or talks constantly over some opinion, pushing his personal opinion, the church will accept it as the law of Christ. Let me tell you this. There has been much division because of the strong promotion of opinions. And this is where we have to be very careful. Extremely careful. Remember what Satan needs. It's just a little tiny space to get in. Let me tell you this. In the Bible, we find many important questions. Incredibly important for the human being and for Christians in general. For example, what must I do to be saved? Acts, the book of Acts. It's such an important question. But if we go to uh, Romans 4.3, an important question that we found in the scripture, based in, uh, 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 um, on Romans 4, verse 3, it says, For what does the scripture say? For what does the scripture say? The scripture speaks. The scripture is the voice of God. God speaks what is written. Ignoring what the scripture says means ignoring the voice or the word of God. Adding to the scripture says, to the, what the scripture says means adding to the voice or the word of God. Taking away, you know, to the, what the scripture says means taking away to the voice of God or the word of God. Second Timothy, uh, the third chapter, verses 16 to 17 All the scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach, to rebuke, to correct, to instruct in righteousness, so that the man of God be perfect, 
equipped for every good work. What is written is the teaching of Christ, is the will of God. Second John 9, anyone who deviates, you know, surpasses or exceeds and does not remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Surpasses, exceeds, that is to say, go beyond what is allowed or stipulated by it. You know, 1 Corinthians 4, 6. That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Those who exceed or surpasses and do not remain in the teaching of Christ exceeds or surpasses what is written and do not have God. 1 Peter 4, 11. Therefore, he who speaks, let him speak according to the words of God. The scripture is the infallible guide in all concerns to God's will regarding the gospel, salvation, the church, and all the counsel of God. Acts 20. Anyone who does not learn and respect what is written will commit serious mistakes. It is important to understand that the kingdom of Christ has a border. Exceeding what is written means exceeding the limit of what is authorized by the scripture. We are all used, you know, or, or uh, used to or familiar, you know, with limits of borders, you know, uh, uh, of cities, uh, departments, uh, countries, you know. Nobody will say I'm in Guatemala, you know, if they are actually in the U.S. So we are used to or familiar, you know, with borders. Now, one more thing that it is important to consider is the silence of the scriptures. Permissive or prohibited? This is an issue that has sparked controversy since the dawn of humanity. You know, when man had been faced with the silence of the word of God. In the, is the silence of a scripture permissive or prohibited? Does the silence of the scripture allows us to do all that God has not forbidden? Are we to respect or ignore the silence of the scriptures? The answer to this question will determine, will determine our eternal destiny. Believe me. For those who respect the Bible as the word of God, you know, 2 Timothy uh, 3.16... The issue of a scriptural silence is crucial and decisive. And let me tell you this. From now on, or since now on, we can affirm without fear of being wrong. What has not been biblically permitted is forbidden. Why? Because God allows what he has revealed, what is described in his law. Just that simple. None of us should expect God to allow what is not freely permitted or described and is contrary to his word. Matthew 21, 7, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 21. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see what it says? Does the will of my Father, not the silence of my Father. See what I'm saying? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I said? Luke 6.46 To enter the kingdom of heaven, it is necessary to stay within the will of the heavenly Father. This will has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ, Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. No one can legitimately call Christ Lord and at the same time disobey Him by going beyond what He has ordered with the excuse Christ has not explicitly forbidden it. That's just an excuse. In the light of the Bible, you know, both in, in, in the Old Testament and New Testament, all in New Testament, the silence of the Scripture has always been prohibited. Always. No one who transgressed the Word of God to do what God had not commanded was never blessed. God never approved that men participate in any religious practice that was not revealed by His Word. The Old Testament contains a number of examples that illustrate the prohibitiveness of the silence of the Holy uh, Scriptures. Cain's disobedience, Noah's example, Nadab and Abahu, the Ark of the Covenant, and many more. The New Testament is equal lucid regarding our obligation to recognize the principle of biblical silence and to stay within God or within what God has specifically authorized. Probably one of the best examples that establishes the principle of biblical silence is found in Hebrews, uh, uh, the 7 and 8 chapters. Hebrews 8, 4 tells us of Christ, of Jesus Christ, if he were on earth, he would not even be a priest. But why would this be so? The, the reason is found in Hebrews the seventh chapter, verse 14. Because it is manifest that our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, of which Moses spoke nothing regarding the priesthood. Nothing. Now remember, according to the history books, the apostasy of the true church began began with the change of government and organization. There were two bad tendencies. One of them was the exaltation of one of the elders over the others. You know, little by little, the plurality of elders disappeared. In the case of a single elder over the local church came in its place or took its place. So let us talk a little bit about the organization of the local church according to the Bible. When the local church is organized, it has elders deacons, a preacher or preacher, depending, you know, if there are available or capable brethren, teacher or teachers, evangelists or evangelists, and members. When the church is not organized, meaning that they do not have elders, neither deacons, 
since the deacons work under the supervision of the elders, the local church has preacher or preachers, teacher or teachers, evangelists or evangelists, and members. That's it. Nothing else. I'm going to emphasize it. If it is organized, there are elders, deacons, preachers, teachers, evangelists, and members. If it is not organized, there are preachers, teachers, evangelists, and members. That's it. Nothing else. There are not church leaders or leaders in the church. Again, I'm going to emphasize it. There are no church leaders. Let me spell it for you, just to make sure that you're understanding me. L-E-A-D-R. Pardon my French again, you know, but I just want to make sure. The Bible doesn't talk. The New Testament doesn't talk about church leaders at all. But someone might say, but there are brothers in the local churches, you know, who are mature members, strong in the faith. There are brothers with a lot of knowledge as well as brothers with little or less knowledge. The question is, since the church is not organized, so how or who is or are going to run the Lord's church? The answer is very simple. With many Bible savvy or knowledgeable brethren or few, the local church having no elders must be led in terms of decisions in the local work, not in matters of faith, by all the men of the congregation. Necessary inference. They do this in their meetings or reunions. For this, all have to participate. Let me tell you this. The term preacher is used to emphasize the act of proclaiming. The term evangelist is used to emphasize the good news of the message. The term teacher is used to emphasize the person who helps students to acquire knowledge or virtue. The preacher, evangelist, or teacher is limited to the extent that other members in the males in the local I mean that other other males in the local church are limited. Let me say it one more time. The preacher, evangelist, or teacher is limited to the extent that other males in the local church are limited. He has no more or less authority than the others. He has no position. He has work. Second Timothy 4 5. That work is to evangelize or preach or teach. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. And don't try to be a diatrophist. Diatrophist, I think that's how you pronounce it. Do you remember diatrophist in 3 John verse 9? John says, I wrote to the church, but diatrophist, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. I have always wondered how that was possible. Or how did diatrophies come to have so much control of the local church in that place? And remember, it can happen to us. The answer is simple. The local church allowed it. The local church, the brethren allowed it. Allowed. Let me tell you this. No one ruled the local church. Not the preacher, not the teacher, not the evangelist, not anyone else. Everyone has a voice, a voice, and vote 
in the same way. Everyone has a voice and a vote in the same way. The local church is a mutual agreement and as such, it must function in concert or in accordance. The New Testament does not speak of church leaders. Regarding authority, Jesus says that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Matthew 28. Using that authority, he authorized the collective action unit to be the fully autonomous and independent local church. He authorized each church to have elders, and if it does not have elders, all the men are in charge of directing under the authority of Christ. Very simple. Necessary inference. Since its formation, the local church has addressed itself submitting to the final authority to the doctrine of Christ in the scripture. This is autonomy. Law for itself. There are evangelists, preachers, and teachers, uh, especially within the Spanish-speaking churches, you know, who teach the autonomy of the local church and at the same time practice dictatorship. The authority of the preacher, evangelist, teacher, or any member does not consist in determining beliefs and practices as this is already established in the world of Christ. Rather, it consists of conducting its affairs as a local congregation. And there is where we need to be careful. Right there is where we need to be extremely careful. If in a given place, an evangelist, either by himself or with some other members or with some other brethren, you know, make converts and thus establish a local church of Christ there, you know, in any place, it is clear that he and maybe the other members too are going to be the members or members with the most biblical knowledge and experience in the world. His or their judgment will be worth a lot. But the New Testament does not authorize them or, the, or does not authorize him to serve as a leader or leaders over the local church. Again, the New Testament does not speak of church leaders. The New Testament does not give him or them supremacy over the other members. Not at all. Not at all. To conclude this lesson, no single person has authority over the local church. The brothers must be taught that each one has responsibility in the local work and that as a member, he has to function in the body according to his abilities. This requires you or us, you know, to be present at business meetings. And if, men, and if men, you know, are wise, they will take into account the circumstances, needs, etc. of all the members of the local church in making their decisions in their meetings. And not only their personal needs. And this, of course, includes members who are women. Taking 
or making decisions that make sense, not the opposite. Decisions that make sense, not the opposite. May God bless his word and the glory and honor be always given to him. And let's keep fighting the good fight. I know this sermon did not explain what to do to be saved, but if you have been uh, studying and you are aware of what you need to do to be saved, we encourage you to come forward as together we stand and sing. <laughs>